Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, a Saturday episode. <clears throat> it's been a lot transpiring since I, I last talked to you guys. It's been a lot has, tra- <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. A lot has transpired. I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid, though. Um, I hope everybody out there is doing well. I'm doing fine, doing well. Uh, I hope everybody out there is doing healthy and wealthy. Let's get into it. NFL draft. We're going to talk about the NFL draft, but we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has now, he's now disgruntled in Green Bay. We got a lot to talk about, but I'm not going to only be, I'm not going to only, I'm not the only one that's going to be talking about it. I have Kambani Bumani of the independent intel podcast host of the independent intel podcast uh, a podcast that i enjoy quite frequently um if you guys don't know now you know uh really good and he has really good insight and takes on football and basketball and i love it i'm gonna bring him on i'm gonna bring him on more but i am excited to bring him on today how are you doing bro I had the opportunity to have Isaiah on top of platform, podcast, like you just stated, independent Intel. And it was a great experience. It was one of my most recent guests today. We talked about a variety of topics from basketball and football. And today I can't wait to dive into what's going on, what's happened in the NFL draft, what's going on currently, and then also the Aaron Rodgers situation. Is that right there? It's a very unique situation to talk about. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um... So Aaron Rodgers, right? Aaron Rodgers is disgruntled in Green Bay, and he wants out. It seems. That's what it seems like. He wants out. The front office saying, hey, we don't want to give him up. This Aaron Rodgers, I'm just going to give you my my brief take on this whole Aaron Rodgers thing. It, I've always been of – I've always been – this has always been my take on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rod- the Green Bay Packers need Aaron Rodgers more than the Packers than Aaron Rodgers need the Packers. I never thought I, I know the Packers do a good job at developing offensive linemen. Um they've they've often had some pretty decent receivers, even though they haven't drafted any skill players for Aaron Rodgers over the last 10 years. They've had some pretty decent players, and, and and quite frankly, they develop players really well. But Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, has always kept the Packers, especially over the last couple of years, at least over the last half decade, he's kept the Packers at a very respectable level. And obviously this past season, they fell short of another Super Bowl berth. They got to the NFC Championship game, and they lost. So now in, in – in the offseason, Aaron Rodgers wanted a contract extension. The Packers wanted to restructure his contract so they could so they could strengthen the roster. And it just the relationship has gone dry and stale. But the whole the the tension, like the real tension began once the Packers drafted Jordan Love who was supposed to be Aaron Rodgers' replacement. 
give me your take and your feel on the Packers in this Aaron Rodgers situation. Well, my opinion on it is this is how it is mm. when it comes to personality. And that's his franchise home team when you feel like your time is done. Not every Hall of Fame local quarterback is going to go out the justifiable route. It's like, hey, man, he did what he was for. His talent fell off a cliff. And luckily, he was able to win a Super Bowl prior to his career exodus, but it was pretty clear when that happened. His days are done. There's going to be situations like the there's going to be a situation in Green Bay where the Hall of Fame powerful quarterback still has enough talent within his skill set to still play X amount of years, but it puts the franchise in a unique predicament because they can look at it as he can still play, but our window, our ceiling with him as the forebearer of great things happening within this compilation of the team, that window's closed. We have to move on to newer pastures. And that's what they've done by implementing Jordan Love with the roster the past year in the draft. They feel like the ceiling and the window of opportunity comes to compete for a championship has closed in Green Bay. Mm. It doesn't mean Aaron Rodgers is football anymore. It just means that his shelf life within that franchise, in their eyes, doesn't amount to what it normally did on an annual basis, which is, yeah, we may lose in the playoffs, but we always feel like we can get to the top next year and win a Lombardi because Aaron Rodgers is in his prime, and his next few years down the line are still prime field as the one he's playing right now. Yeah, he had an MVP season where he looked fabulous, but it doesn't take anybody to not look at his game and realize he's not what he used to be five years ago. And it doesn't automatically mean that the next two to three years he's going to play at that high level. He's 36 years old. And Green Bay's got to look at it like this. He's that age. And since he's been on the team, they've been one in four in the championship games. They've been to the title game twice and lost. Now, granted, the Niners team they lost to was the locomotive of, of really peaking at the right time. No one was going to beat them in that scenario. But they had a team that was equipped enough to beat Tampa Bay this past season. And they didn't get it done. A lot of that was on Rodgers coming up small down the stretch in the second half. He did somewhat similar type of things when they lost to Seattle, when Seattle went back to the Super Bowl for a second time in the middle corner of last decade. And so I think Green Bay fans recognize that he is a talented player. They don't want to see him go, but they're kind of in the same predicament, this version of Green Bay Packers fans. A lot of their fan base felt the same way when Brett Farr was getting pushed out to go by upper management, when Rodgers was going to come in here at that position. And it looked like a ridiculous thing to do. Favre was royalty back then. He was not the face of the NFL, but he was one of the NFL's last standing great Hall of Fame as quarterbacks. No one wanted to see him go because it didn't look like he was on his last leg during that time. Green Bay made the best decision for them because they looked at it as, yeah, his upside moving forward isn't as enhanced as it was five to six years ago. And we maxed out with him being the stir of the drink, as you might, as I might say in terms of being the face of our office and our team, that year they also lost in the championship game to the Giants. And so when that happened, they made the move, and they really haven't looked back. They haven't waddled in that pursuit. I think Green Bay Packers fans need to recognize when Rodgers leaves, he won't compete for a Super Bowl immediately. But your roster as a whole is full of young, rising talent. You're going to be a team that's going to consistently probably win in the NFC North which means you'll be in a playoffs. Eventually, you'll win a couple of playoff games. And over time, you'll develop your own nuanced championship ideology with the new quarterback at the helm in Jordan Love. 
you don't know what Jordan Love can bring to the table. So automatically, we're really going off of what they told us or what he potentially could be based on what we saw in college. But Green Bay, they've done this before. This is the same movie. And they've reaped positive benefits the last few times they've done it. I think, for lack of a better terms, I don't have a problem with Green Bay feeling like they have to make this move due to Rodgers' age and due to their outlook on a ceiling with them as the forefront of a team. And I also don't blame Rodgers feeling upset and as if he's beneath everything Green Bay is doing right now and he deserves to have a better opportunity to chase championship success somewhere else. Okay. Um, the, the Packers, as you mentioned, they have gone through this sort of transition before. Um, with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and now it's happening again at, before our eyes. I just feel like when you have a quarterback of Aaron Rodgers' abilities, because quite frankly, Aaron Rodgers, he's a top two quarterback in football right now. Like him and Patrick Holmes, they're battling for who is the best quarterback in football right now. So. The Packers, like, for instance, I think this is where the Packers, or this is where Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't, this is this is where an owner can come into play. Because this is something that Aaron Rodgers hasn't had. He doesn't, he doesn't have an owner. He has Brian Gutenkus, who is the Packers GM, and then just a bunch of presidents that sit on the, that sit in seats. He doesn't have that Robert Kraft. He doesn't have that Jerry Jones where he can say, where he can go up to him and he say, hey, I need this and that. That's a that's a necessity that Rodgers just hasn't had. So when 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 the Packers continue just continuously disrespect Aaron Rodgers, because quite frankly, that's what it is, it, it comes off really bad. It like it comes off really bad and it just doesn't make much sense i mean unless you're thinking on the terms of how you're thinking where it's like okay the passing of the torch you have a talented you have a talented roster with with some young guys build off of that and let's see what jordan love is and that's another thing we don't even know what jordan love is as we like we don't know he he may turn out to be a guy that just can't play in the NFL. We don't know. We never seen him. So only the Packers know. So it's just a, it's just such a difficult situation. And the Packers, quite frankly, they have failed to. They have failed to. The Packers didn't make Aaron Rodgers feel special because. Let's be honest. Aaron, he's Aaron Rodgers is he's a bit needy and picky and the the, the Packers did, failed to not recon, like reconciliate this relationship um and try to get him the pieces that he needed. Uh if you just want to touch on that a little bit, you can, but um I'm a, I'm going to talk about Aaron Rodgers and the possible destinations later on after we talk about the draft a little bit. But if you want to bounce back off of that idea, you can. Yeah, I'm not going to deny the fact that it is fine. They did miss out on an opportunity to 
or when you showcase as a potential franchise caliber player for the franchise and also a generational talent in that group of receivers, Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, when those guys kind of faded away, it looked like they were playing an offensive line that could have a potential pick up when those guys left off. Randall Cobb came in and lit up the league early in his career. And Jordy Nelson for his ACL. And Randall Cobb kind of lost a little bit. He got mixed up. And he struggled to find that consistent balance of a receiving core that could continue to fluctuate with the rising talent of Rodgers. Rodgers is just natural that often. He'll stay afloat and competitive enough to win a week in this year, get into the playoffs, win a playoff game. But inevitably, when they play against a better team who had a defense that could so neutralize Rodgers in a passing ability, and then on the offense, and from an oppositional standpoint, they could punish Green Bay's weak defense to submission. You're right. Prime years of Rodgers wasted. That they were on early on in the decade. But recently, this, this season that they just had against Tampa, that is about as the most complete I've seen Green Bay have as a team in a while. That San Francisco team, we all, that, all, that lost to San Francisco, we all acknowledged that that team was overrated. Um, Rodgers didn't look the same that second half of the season. The running game was solid, but it was pretty good. It didn't have a consistent synergy to one on the ball on consistent levels throughout that year. They played against the team in San Francisco. Their front seven was lethal. They were a really pass-happy, bad version of that team. And being pass-happy against a lethal front seven like San Francisco, recipe of disaster. They got offensively neutralized, and then their defense got punished into submission because they couldn't stop the run. This year, their defense kind of put it all together. They were one of the more talented defenses from a roster standpoint this year. It was Rodgers who came up small. And I think that highlighted to Green Bay they were probably like, you know what? Against San Francisco, things didn't go our way. We didn't really stick to who we truly were because we were under the first year of that before first year getting adapted to that. They fully got adapted into what we wanted to do in terms of be balanced offensively. Defensively, there are a lot more opportunistic and aggressive. Guys stayed healthy on that end, and they had a lot more synergy, especially in the secondary. They get to have a home playoff game in the NFC Championship with Tampa, and then they weren't able to fulfill their potential with a roster a lot more complete than what it was. So I agree in Rodgers' prime years, when he just entered in it and, and when he was in the midst of it, they didn't really formulate a roster that was changing while he was evolving. And they waited until it was too late, in my opinion, to finally put it all together. And when they finally put it all together, they realized, hey, Rodgers came up small again. Well, let's pivot from what we used to have and go on a younger, cheaper road because this is what they customarily have done throughout their franchise's history in terms of pivoting off of legendary but aging quarterbacks, and they feel as if they can reap a beneficial reward from it. You're right. We don't know what Jordan Love brings to the table. But because of that, I do feel as if this makes Green Bay fans even more alarmed because they see present-day talent, present-day legendaryness in front of them, and they see how close they are with it. They don't just want to give that up and go back into a slow rebuild okay and that's that's fair that's that's a fair judgment that's fair um let's move on to the draft so we we obviously uh the the first round draft was the first round of this year's draft was very entertaining it was very entertaining 
Um, and it's kind of funny to me because the draft, you know, it's kind of turned into like a TV show. Like the NFL does such a great job at putting the draft together. It's un- it's it's unlike any other draft, and it, and it speaks to why the ratings are so good. Because it's tur- it's like a it's like a mini event. It's like another event for the NFL. Um, but let's let's okay. So the most notable pick, and I'm sorry, I love I love Trevor Lawrence. Uh, obviously, he was going to be the number one pick. That was obvious. The draft really started at three, right? That's that's where everybody really started to tune in because we knew Lawrence was going to go to Jacksonville. Um, Zach Wilson was going to go to um, the Jets, but we wanted to see who was going to get drafted by the 49ers. Obviously, Trey Lance, North Dakota State, he got drafted by Trey. Uh, he got drafted by the 49ers, but there were conflicting reports and just various reports, and basically, this hype train of Mac Jones had started several weeks back. And, uh, and we were just under the impression that the 49ers were going to draft Mac Jones. That did not come true. And I was completely against the idea of the 49ers going after Mac Jones. And let me, it was two major reasons. First, the, the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're tired of Jimmy Garoppolo. They're, they're tired. Okay. Jimmy Garoppolo is he, he's he's injury prone and he has a defined ceiling. So that was one of the reasons why I I was against Mac Jones or, or them drafting Mac Jones because you move three first round picks to move all the way up from 12 to 3 only to draft a quarterback, another quarterback with another defined ceiling who has a defined ceiling. I didn't see much sense in that. And secondly, Mac Jones, his ceiling is so low compared to these other guys. And he just doesn't have that extra element that these other guys had. And I saw in I, and, and Mac Jones, I saw a bigger version of Kirk Cousins. That's what I, that was my comp. I saw a, a bigger version of Kirk Cousins. And I just did not want to see Kyle Shanahan in the 49ers draft, Mac Jones. And it, it would have worked because they have a Super Bowl quality roster, you know, a, a Super Bowl call, you know, great play caller in, in Kyle Shanahan. Offensive line is really good. George Kittle is a great passing threat. You have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and so forth. And then the defense went healthy. But it was going to work. But Mac Jones had a defined ceiling. I feel like with Trey Lance, they have their guy. Trey Lance is their guy. He he he, he feels like a guy that's going to get them over the top. Yeah, I agree. He was their guy. And ironically enough, when San Francisco moved from 12-2-3 and all of the Minecraft experts saw the move and knew that it was official, Trey Lance was the guy that they mocked in early on as the individual. They saw Kyle Shanahan potentially taking off with to select for this year's draft. Then it became the Mac Jones stock rising show, and it made people, even myself, question 
think are they really gonna go to Mac Jones? But basically, they landed in on Trey Lance, and I do agree that Shanahan's experience with quarterbacks who have intent, well, have the skill set to thrive within his offense, but are limited in the dynamic aspect of skill sets, like being able to throw the football deep down the field at a consistent rate, showcase mobility outside the pocket to where not only do you extend plays, but create your own with your legs. He's never truly had that when he's been an OC or a head coach. Now he has that with Trey Lance. It opens up his playbook even more. And due to that, especially when you're in a division where Aaron Donald's chasing after you twice a year, Chandler Jones chasing after you twice a year, you're going to need a quarterback that's going to be quick on his feet, both figuratively and literally. Lance provides that. <laughs> his upside, my opinion, is Cam Newton. Cam Newton. And if he puts it all together from an accuracy standpoint, that's going to start with fine footwork and a different base for being able to control the football from the waist up. He can be even better than Newton because he'll be a more consistent, accurate passer who, as he gets older, that arm may wane. His precision, touch, and mastery of Shanahan's offense will still allow him to be successful for years to come. I, I totally agree with you. I I was not huge. I was I was not I, I, Mac Jones, and and people probably think I have something against Mac Jones. I really don't. First of all, I must admit I can't let this slip by. Mac when Mac Jones got drafted to the 49ers, his walk to the stage was hilarious. I must admit it. But but I but I don't want to dwell on that. Trey Trey Lance is. He is he reminds me a lot of Steve McNear. Steve McNear, uh he won MV, he won he won MVP last year. I mean MVP um in throughout his career. He won he had an MVP award. Uh he got the three Pro Bowls. And I'm not saying this is going to be Trey Lance. I'm not saying Trey Lance is going to But as far as skill set, I see a lot of Steve McNear. I see a lot of Steve McNair in his skill set as far as a, as a thrower of the football and as a runner. And you and you hear and you hear the reports coming out of out of out of North Dakota State. Mac Jones, they say Mac Jones is probably like the most pro ready, quote unquote. Like he can come in and start. But Trey Lance, he the, like coming out of North Dakota, I heard that he was able to make second and third progression reads and he was calling out blitz packages and blitzes that he saw so it he showed like so his intellect as far as like reading defenses is already probably higher than a lot of these other quarterbacks probably including Mac Jones so i i, I can't um, i just can't wait to see what this what this looks like for the 49ers um it it, it it kind of reminds me of what Kyle Shanahan had a little bit in RG3. It's just that Trey Lance is a better thrower of the football and a bigger athlete. RG3 was skinny and a track star. Trey Lance is a bigger athlete that stands at 6'4", 230-ish, and he's a better thrower. So, I, so that's what you're getting. You're getting RG3 with the throwing. I feel like I, you're gonna see a lot of I, I see a lot of resemblance 
Um, now, Trey Lance, I, I don't know if he starts automatically. I think it would be pretty good if he could sit a year, do the Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith thing. Um, but I, I, I can't wait. I can't. I really can't wait to see what this looks like with the 49ers and Trey Lance. I'm I'm excited for it. I'm I really am. And I, I must add, I'm really high on John Lynch and the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan as far as the job that they've been doing since they took it over. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to touch base on Lance's ability to thrive within a post-style offense, being able to go through his second and third progressions to make the right to throw, even calling plays at the line. Not a lot of people watch those Florida State football because they're an FCS school and they don't get premier ESPN-type coverage until they make it to the national championship game within their subdivision. Then they will be on an ESPN type platform. North Dakota State's offense is traditional resembles common traditional NFL offenses. With their ability to be, be able to go under center, hike the ball from under center, go through progressions, quick feeds, things of that nature, play action passes. They do that a lot. And he has experience and nuances within that. That's gonna go a long way within Shanahan's offense. Yes, we know Lots of NFL offenses have adopted the West Coast spread system throughout modern Oscar games to the college level because of duality and dynamics of a quarterback's athleticism. But there's still archaic elements of traditional NFL offensive football. West Coast offense is still within the flow of modernized NFL offensive packages. Lance's experience and ability within that setting from college, being a North Dakota State quarterback, that will go a long way as well. And on a touch base sentiment, Shanahan's experience with RG3. While he's not the track star that RG3 is, he's a dual threat nonetheless. And his bigger body will allow him to be able to take punishment at times between the tackles. You don't want him to continue to take that because he's your franchise quarterback and those hits do act up. But it allows another edge duality you can provide in a running game type system where you may want to call his own number, also short yardage situations, and he could be successful. Cam Newton is what I see. He could he could wind up being Cam Newton early in his career. And think he big then towards the ends where the physicality is still there from a prototype standpoint. But he played his, his game off his arm much more because of the touch and precision he has developed over time as a boss. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I, I kind of – I didn't think about the Cam Newton comparison. I feel like he's a better thrower. Uh, like – we mentioned Cam, we mentioned RG3, we mentioned Steve McNair. I feel like he's probably a better thrower than Cam and RG3 as far as like as as far as like a, a, pers- a precision passer, he's probably a, a tad bit better than those guys. Um and a little bit more advanced. Uh I, I do think like you, you mentioned, you look at North Dakota State's their system offensively. It resembles a lot of pro style offenses that that you, that you see on Sundays. So that's a big edge for uh, Trey Lance that I don't think is getting talked about nearly enough. So guys that do this for a living. In terms of scout NFL prospects, they go deep into the annals of the film and they see this, they recognize that he has a lot of experience within a post style type offense. 
everything else becomes okay. You got experience there. He's an athlete, a mix of all arm talent. Things that he doesn't do well. Are we confident enough within our support system that we can patch that up? And eventually, how he looks as a prospect, not right now, but the next four to five years, he's a lot more advanced in terms of making his weaknesses now assets and strengths. He becomes a whole other quarterback that finally starting to pick at his ceiling and fully creates his own identity within the Kyle Shanahan offense. It becomes Kyle Shanahan's offense into the, you know, Trey Lance offense. His ability to be able to manipulate the game from a line of scrimmage standpoint and when you have the ball and it's moving in and out of the line. I'm gonna make le- one last point with this. <laughs> not, um, one last point because I'm really fascinated with this, but I feel like with Kyle Shanahan, um, he's been looking for a guy like this since the Super Bowl loss. Because, and I always bring I brought this up a couple weeks ago, but as far as and you see it with certain play callers such as Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan where these guys are so good as play callers, so good as play callers and how innovative they are offensively. But they they both had quarterbacks, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, where they both got to the Super Bowl one time, and it was, we could all tell, it was primarily based off of coaching and defense. The Rams that year had a really good defense um, and obviously good coaching for McVay. And the 49ers, the year they got to the Super Bowl the year before last, they had good defense, obviously led by Robert Salah, but then the coaching in the mastermind of Kyle Shanahan. And when you look at the guys like Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo, they're not bad quarterbacks. They're starters. They're starter. They're starting level quarterbacks. They're 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 okay starters. But with a, with with drove McVay so crazy and and ultimately led to Jared Goff getting traded. Jared Goff couldn't take the top off the defense. Jared Goff didn't have those extra elements. He didn't have those extra elements where basically McVay would have to call the perfect play every single time just for just the, just for the offense to be efficient and be executed properly and you saw a little bit of this with Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan relationship where Kyle Shanahan had to call every play perfectly every play call had to be so perfect just in just so the offense could execute properly and with Jimmy Garoppolo Kyle Shanahan lost confidence because of that fourth quarter in the Super Bowl and you think about it Jimmy Garoppolo outplayed Patrick Mahomes three quarters he he outplayed Patrick Mahomes the first three quarters of that Super Bowl but then in the fourth quarter you know what happened the talent of Patrick Mahomes the arm talent the escapability the ability to extend plays came into play, and Mahomes outplayed them in the fourth quarter, and the 49ers lost the Super Bowl. And since that day, I feel like Kyle Shanahan has been looking for a guy like Trey Lance that could really operate and take over this offense, and he doesn't, and and Sean McVay or and Kyle Shanahan, they don't have to feel like 
They have to call every single play perfectly. Yeah, I do feel like with Shanahan early on in his coaching career, when he was the OC with the Falcons, but then early on in his career as the head coach for the Niners, if he goes somewhere, they kind of get in the way. If he felt like I'm a more, I'm more nuanced enough of a play caller to where I can put somebody that resembles the basic accessories I look for in my ideal quarterback, and that alone to the mountain. Matt Ryan has way more talent than Jimmy Garoppolo, better vertical passer down the field, better touch, all things of that nature. Ryan's intangible is so close to that. And that's one of the main reasons why they lose the 28 percent against New England. With Garoppolo, he doesn't have the immense arm strength. His athleticism is underrated. And when his feet are set and he has a proper enough base, there is accuracy on the football. However, his base, his footwork are consistent um, and has a tendency to make the ball kind of sail on him a little bit. And his decision making is the most efficient. He is a little bit erratic within that state as well. And so when you have those type of weaknesses within your personnel quarterback, that you probably preach and practice, control this, control that. But you know, in a game setting, you're going to go back to what you start to realize my X's and O's go so far, it comes down to the Kings and the Joes. Trey Lance has a potential to be a very generational Joe in terms of he's an X factor that utilizes natural horse skill sets within him to break the defense to its needs. And that's something that Shannon has never really had within his offensive setting. We had Matt Ryan, we had Garoppolo, obviously, Lance is very raw and not probably going to touch the field for an extended period of time next season. But then again, who knows? We are speaking about Garoppolo. His biggest issue is always been that. When he has been healthy, the Niners, from a record standpoint, are a playoff team. Yep. But he has a tendency to not really the field. That means Lance may have an opportunity to earlier than expected. And when he's in that stage, Chang is probably going to, you know, make the play playbook enough to utilize things that work within Lance's favor. But over time, as that playbook expands and evolves as a talent, his unique skill set and game breaking ability will show and open up their potential as a team. Absolutely. So I'm going to move on to Mac Jones. Um, he got drafted at 15. <laughs> I mentioned his walk, <laughs> his strut <laughs> uh, to meet Roger Goodell. That was pretty hilarious. He looked like he was um he looked like he was a kid, a student that was late for science class, but neither here that's neither here or there. So the Patriots ended up drafting Mac Jones. And as much as I banged as I just banged on Mac Jones, and as as critical that I have been over the last month about Mac Jones, this was a really good pick. This was a really good pick for the Patriots. This is a really good pick. This is a good pick for both parties involved, the Patriots and Mac Jones. I'm going to talk about the Patriots first. The Patriots, they drafted a quarterback. Um, Obviously, they wouldn't mind Cam starting for one more year at least, but you, they want, they want their quarterback. They want their franchise caliber guy. They want to see what Mac they, – they, they want to see if, you know, they, they want to get their guy. Um, and they got that in Mac Jones. Obviously, they made some upgrades. 
Um, with their receiving core, with the skills positions, they went out and added Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, John New Smith, etc. So they've added some reputable pieces um, on offense. And now with they drafted a guy in Mac Jones who who fits what they want. A pocket passer, um, Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels has been looking for this pocket passer. You know, he, he it didn't work out in Denver, but now he, he had Brady, obviously. But now he has his guy. He has now Mac Jones, who is the prototypical quarterback that they want. Pocket passer, really accurate, not really the strongest arm. Um, yeah, doesn't really have the strongest arm, but he makes quick decisions and quick reads where. So if he if he's making quick decisions and quick reads, the arm strength really doesn't matter. You know, if you're making quick decisions and quick re- reads and you're accurate, the arm strength is not a huge knock. Um, it would be good to have it, but it's not a huge knock. So I think in all, the, the Patriots really played their cards well with not moving up because there were talks that they would – they were possibly moving up or would try to move up. Um, so that was good that they stayed put. They didn't have to move up for for Mac Jones. They stayed where they wanted at 15, and they got their guy. And with Mac Jones, you're going to another pro-style offense. Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are really good friends. So I feel like this is a good match. This is a match, just for, this is a match for both parties involved. It is a match, and, you know, the way the board shook up, Mac Jones going at 15, it's perfect direction. I didn't feel like he was a top five pick. I didn't feel like he was a top ten pick, but I understand the finger. Mad line decided to take him. He went top 15, built to a team that needed a quarterback because their current roster situation choking that long term and have a quarterback solution beyond 2021. And so Mad Jones that role, and we'll see what he has forward. But what Belichick has shown is that he sucks at drafting, which means he'll acknowledge when he misses on the talent. And if you're a guy that he invests high draft capital to, and you don't produce, you won't get reps, you won't play, but if you are on the field, you won't be entrusted to execute big-time plays in big-time situations. Because he looks at you as what you are a bust. So there's no guarantee that just because Mac Jones is 15, that he's going to survive his rookie contract. So he's going to survive two years. And I do admit his deep ball accuracy is not good. It's very below bar. I've seen tons of videos where when you get feet on the field, you underthrows a lot of his receivers. But because Alabama receivers are Alabama receivers and they have insane catch radiuses from the moon to the dirt, they're able to adjust to the football, make insane catches, and get first downs and touchdowns. But he's very deadly, intermediate, and underneath. And the Williams office has been predicated around that since before Brady was there. They had to be So not mobile, so that means the offensive line has to, be, has to be drawing a wall where they protect them at all times. He's forced to do some things off-platform. He, he's, he's neutralized as a passer, but these are things that they had when they had Tom Brady. And I'm not saying Mac Jones can be Tom. It's going to be Tom Brady. But what made Tom Brady Tom Brady was the 
the competitive edge. No, he didn't have the back-breaking arm strength. No, he didn't have the pinpoint accuracy off-platform. But he stuck to the script, knew the New England playbook by heart, studied the opposition like it was his duty to do so, which it was. And over time, he worked on his own skill set and created new ways to find different advantages over this same level of competition to where he's a seven-time Super Bowl champion. Does Mac Jones have that type of dog in him? If he does, in the next five to ten years, we're probably looking at this selection as a steal. If he doesn't, we're probably looking at it as either one or two things. A disappointing decision or a neutral selection where out of the five quarterbacks that got taken in the first round, he is a fringe starter, but a solid backup. And for New England's sake, they're probably hoping that it's a steal because they're used to winning championships. And I'm pretty sure you don't want to go the next 15 to 20 years not being perennial Lombardi chosen. That's fair. Um, despite despite it being a good match and, and looking at where certain quarterbacks landed, like I, me on it, me personally, I think the best spot, the best spot that a quarterback landed on, on in the first round, it, it was Trey Lance. Trey Lance landed in the best spot for any quarterback, right? Um, I think we can both agree on that. But then you look at who landed in the second best spot. I think that would be Mac Jones with the coaching that the that the Patriots have. Um, you know the the defense. The defense is always going to be pretty solid. And I've already added that they went out and acquired some pieces on offense, um, some respectable pieces. That was the second best landing option, and Mac Jones got that. Um, I think so. And this kind of leads me to my next topic as far as these quarterbacks, because there was five quarterbacks taken in the first round. Five. And if history serves us correct, only there's going to be two. There's going to be probably, there's definitely going to be one guy that's just a bust. There's probably going to be two guys that are going to underperform and probably be bust. Now, I've thre- I've laid out Trey Lance has gone to the best situation. In my opinion, I think the second best situation was the Patriots. Mac Jones landed with the Patriots. I think it, now I do think Mac. No, I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to win a couple Super Bowls and and so forth. I do think uh, Mac Jones has a ceiling, even with the Patriots. I still think he has a ceiling, but I think he's a value. I think he's going to be a respectable starting level quarterback. I think he's going to be really good. I think he'll be good. But. Who in this class, as far as the top five quarterbacks and where they landed, who has the most red flags or who has the most to worry about or who has the most bust potential? You know, that's a great question. And uh, I'm going to be honest and say that I don't think any of them have bust potential. I think best case scenario for all these guys, they have eight potential careers. There are solid many things with that drafted. Worst case scenario, a couple of fringe starters and solid backups. And I think one of them will be possibly Mac Jones. 
And, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence, I told you guys, I mean, my listeners know I like him. Uh, you would, you can probably guess I like him. Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, is the, he's a generational type talent. Um, and, and even though his situation isn't the best in Jacksonville, at least they got some pieces to play with. Zach Wilson. I like Zach Wilson a lot. I like Zach Wilson a lot. I just feel bad for him because he's going to the Jets. <laughs> he's going to the Jets. And I, I, I feel bad for him. And I'm gonna lay this out really quickly. I'm gonna lay this out. Because this is what Jack, this is what Zach Wilson has stacked against him. He's going into a really tough division. And when I mean tough, I mean really tough. He's going up against first, he has a first, let's start with this. He has a first year head coach in Robert Sala. I like Robert Sala. I like him as a defensive coordinator. He did a good job with the 49ers. But him as a coach, as a head coach, that has yet to be seen. I don't know. We don't know what he is as a coach yet. 
So this is a first-year head coach in Robert Sala. The Jets easily, easily have the worst roster in the division. Easily. Robert Sala, once again, first-year head coach, I don't know what he is. So the Jets, once again, in Zach Wilson, he has, Zach Wilson already has the worst roster in the division and the worst coach by default in the, in the division. Because you look at the other three coaches, you got Belichick, the GOAT, uh, Brian Flores, who's really good, I like him, and then Sean McDermott, who's one of the better young defensive minds in football. And not to mention, you have three elite defensive minds in your in your division. Belichick, Brian Flores, and Sean McDermott. <laughs> so he's playing against three really good defenses. So with Zach Wilson, it's going to be interesting to see how these first few years go. Um, I, 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 I wish him the best. <laughs> like I said, I wish him the best because the Jets, and you mentioned some of the moves that the Jets have made. And Lord knows they have a lot of holes in their roster. So they need them. They need to utilize all of those picks. But I think I do think it's very interesting that he's coming in with the with the odds stack highly against him just based off of the fact that he has the worst roster in the division and the coaching in this division in the AFC East is it's high level coaching. So not only is Zach Wilson going to have to play, but Robert Sala is going to have to do some legit coaching in order for the Jets to move forward. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, right now in this draft, kind of like what the Panthers did last year in their draft, they're going to go slowly with football. This year for them, it's off. They're going to further mold chambers in the clip in terms of providing weaponry for Wilson as a passer. And then maybe next draft they go full blown in on the defense because from a secondary perspective, they don't really have anybody out there. Marks is probably their best team and he played well enough to keep franchise tag, but outside of him, you're picking straws. Now, which means probably Jets fans are probably gonna see a lot of shootouts early on and often next season. I don't know if that's gonna be sustainable for Wilson, because that does leave him phone and open enough to body shot to get He's a guy that's had shoulder injuries and other avenues of health issues early on in his BYU days. So they were stay relatively healthy this year. But he's a guy that moves inside and out of the pocket, utilizes his mobility not just to run, but to create passing moves for himself. And by doing that, you do put yourself out there to knock them around like hunt like big, grown male bodies that are known as defensive linebackers. So that's going to be the catch point 20. Shootouts means exciting football. Does put Wilson out there to get hurt or brutalized. And you don't want him to get picked up. He's your franchise. He to stay as open as possible. But I do agree. They're building something, though, as the franchise roster-wise. But for sure, they still are the worst team talent-wise in the division. They're going to be a very competitive team. They're going to be very entertaining teams to watch, but they've got a ways to go until they're able to get back into postseason position. All right, so I'm going to shift gears to this, I'm gonna, and I'm going to ask you this. Out of the first round, what were some head-scratching picks that you noticed? I don't know if you have 
I, you probably do, but I have the results, like the first round results in front of me. Um, who can you just just tell me? Because I have I have a couple, but I'm gonna let you go first. Um, what were some picks that were kind of head scratchers? Um, maybe they maybe a team reached for a particular player. Yeah, I mean, just just tell me if you have any, you know, that you found shocking. Oh, hold up. Repeat that again. Oh, okay. 28 oh, to the Saints. Yes, you're right. And in a division where 
being ready to hurt because Julio Jones is still himself, and so is Michael Thomas. They invite physical contact, and we play against the likes of a Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, while they may not be as physical, they're shifty. And if you press and whip, they'll make you pay and they'll burn you deep down. You, you make a great point. That's why. That's why I was excited to bring you on, um, because I, 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 like the Saints pick, I would have never, I would have never picked that one, but that's excellent. That was excellent. And the Panthers, J.C. Horn, I like J.C. Horn. I was I, I, as a as a Cowboy fan, I was pretty mad that uh, the Broncos, the Broncos, understood why they took. Sertan, but I was very shocked, very shocked when the Panthers took J.C. Horn. I thought they were going to go offensive lineman because to protect Sam Donald because they went out, you got Sam Donald, and you make a good point. They have yet to give, they have yet to exercise Donald's fifth-year option, so they don't really know if he's the guy yet quite, but I still would have I, I still was leaning towards them upgrading their offense in order to give Sam Donald like a legit offensive line, something that he didn't have with the Jets. Now, my my surprise picks, uh, I have a couple as well. I'm gonna start with how about I start with um the Titans. The Titans drafting Caleb Farley at 22. I know they had some so I know they had some like some issues, some depth issues at DB. And that was a really that was the Titans were a bad third down team. And when you're a bad third down team on defense, that's usually because your secondary can't hold up in coverage. And that was the case. This the Titans secondary was awful. Um, so I kind of get why, but with all of the two back surgeries, here go the funny thing or the ironic thing with Caleb Farley. He set out this year from Virginia Tech so he wouldn't catch COVID or get hurt. He set out, right? Well, with him even with him sitting with him sitting out, he still caught COVID and he had two back surgeries. And I'm just thinking to myself, two back surgeries, that doesn't sound too good. That doesn't sound too great. And the Titans, they whiffed on their first rounder last year. He's not even with the team anymore this year. He played what he played like he was there for a half an hour. And he he's not even a team any there. He's not even he's not even there for the team anymore. Also, I mean, I can look at the the, the Packers. I thought Elijah Moore at at pick 29 would have been a better pick than Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes, I thought his teammate, um I forgot his name. I thought but at Georgia, I thought his teammate at Georgia was 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 kind of the better DB. So I I didn't really particularly love that pick from the Packers. Eric Stokes at DB, I thought they should have tried to calm down the 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 tension between them and him and them and Aaron Rodgers by drafting Elijah Moore. Also, Elijah Moore, he's quick, he's shifty, he's as he's as quick as a hiccup, um, really shifty, and he would have really complimented Green Bay 
in Devontae Adams really well. Because you look at Green Bay Ross, they really don't have any burners. A lot of their receivers are big. They got big receivers. Devontae Adams, big guy, route runner, 6'2". Uh, Lazar is like, what, 6'4", 6'5", big guy. Scantling is like 6'2". They, they don't really have any speedsters. And they don't. And in today's game, you kind of need that speed element. And then with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I like Najee Harris. But you drafted a running back, but you have offensive line needs. It's not like your offensive line is stable and good. They drafted they they drafted Najee Harris, and they have offensive they have offensive offensive line needs. So I'm not really I wasn't really huge on that pick either. Um, I kind of felt like that was just a reach. Like it was kind of a reach. It's a, it's a good, it's a, I mean, Najee Harris is a good player, but just imagine, imagine thinking a running back will solve this problem. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you the Steelers O-line um, run blocking rankings. From 2016, they were at fourth. 2017, they were ranked seventh. 2018, they were ranked 12th. 2019, they were ranked 23rd. And just last year, they were ranked 31st in offensive line run blocking. So I don't know how Najee Harris still fixes that problem when you still can't run block. So that's just a couple that I threw out there. Um, the Raiders, once again, <laughs> if 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 only Mike, if only Mike Mayock was as good as a drafter. Like, like he's a, he was a great draft analyst, but as a drafter, Lord Jesus, he can't he 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 can't just hit on a draft pick. And I like Alec, I like Leatherwood, but kind of felt like a reach to me. Yeah, I mean, now I will say this to me: he doesn't have the draft input that probably two wants to have. Groom, if you give somebody a $100 million contract, you're going to want them to have considerable insight on who makes the roster, who does it as well. This is the same dude that still has an infatuation for Nathan Peterman, who probably shouldn't even be after what they go. But I digress. Your three analysis points, I'm going to touch base on the situation first. It's a deep receiver class, so I wasn't losing my mind. Elijah. It hit a lot different last year when on IU because last year's receiving uh, you saw a drop off as we can see. Um anybody but like once you got into the Jalen Raider territory, you weren't gonna really hit as a rookie receiver coming into that draft class last year. Danini Brown, Terrence Marshall, those guys are still available and were even available in it today. So I didn't blame Green Bay for like, uh, we can get a receiver later. And they wound up in DQ with Amari Rodgers, which is who I remember was a guy that put undersized type of physical, but he's physical. The guy that can't stress the thing, like you said. And yards after the catch contact is legit. He's a guy that can run you over or run through tackles and make plays. So they wound up and got value at that position in the third round. They do need corner because the name is Jair Alexander. They're a miss at the quarterback spot on the roster. I love Josh Jackson. Out of Iowa, he has not picked out at the NFL 
professional level. And Kevin King got a one-year deal, but he probably only got a one-year deal because Green Bay's too cheap to get his replacement. And the guys that they probably want to be his replacement, they don't exist on the roster. So I get them taking a Georgia corner to Stokes. He's fast, he's long, and they feel like maybe and they feel like maybe the ball skills are doing a lot better than Kevin King. They feel like automatically in about a couple of years. They'll take King's spot. They do be more of an upgrade at that position. Don't blame them taking Stokes. So I'm not losing their mind like a lot of cats were because it's the thing to do now on the internet because Rodney is what his ex or his exodus, his exodus. But any of the corner just bad. Like they needed a center just as bad. They put the center. Like I, I don't blame them for doing those needs because they're not a receiver away from doing anything. Like winning the NFC. I don't look at Green Bay and think they're a receiver away. I think having a receiver on their roster helps. So in the playoffs, you don't feel like it's a monster or bust. But that being said, you know, if Rodgers doesn't fall down the stretch, they win with that one receiver. So there's a lot of holes on their roster that you know, not just they compete with now, but to have some level of sustainability moving forward once Rodgers is fully close. Now, when Najee here is a Pittsburgh, I'm going to say it. I said it when it happened. Le'Veon Bell made that rushing offense a lot better than what it truly was. Le'Veon Bell's running style at that time was he took the football, and right at the point of the line of scrimmage, he stopped. He really stopped and, like, let a, let a hole manifest. It could be a sliver of a hole, <laughs> and then he hit it. Najee Harris isn't that same type of bat, but while people compared him to that for day because of his versatility out of the back foot as a receiver and his jump cut elusiveness, like he can cut from sideline to sideline, more like a river. He reminds me a lot of Adrian Peterson. This ferocity and burst within every cut that he makes. And I think they feel like having an individual who can utilize that skill set to create a hole is something that will alleviate the fact that they have deficiencies in the run point system. Connor and Benny Snell are one cut guys. And when you're a one cut runner, you better make sure you have a nuanced one boxing scheme or your offensive line is full of like two to three offers. If you don't have that and you got a bunch of ordinary guys running your run-blocking system, then you better hope you're running back as an in creativity. Connor and still don't have that. Najee Harris does. So I think he's going to make their rushing attack a lot better than it is because of who he is as a talent. And what was the other guy you said that you were kind of like? Um, Caleb Farley. Farley, so the back problems. Yeah, look, man, with Farley, having back problems in the corner, that's, that's a problem. Because at the corner, you have to backpedal. And you utilize your back to backpedal. It's really in the order of backpedal. <laughs> so, injury history is, is tough. And he's a guy who is going to take the Jordan Jackson. He's basically the Jordan Jackson clone. Probably a better ball stealer player than Jordan because he used to play receiver. He's an athlete. He's fast. 4-3 speed. When healthy, he can mirror your opposing receiver. But that's the thing. When healthy. And if he's not on the field, then... Who do they have on the roster that can fill that void? So Christian Porter last year, but I feel like his upside at the quarterback spot is the slot. Farley when healthy is going to be a special player, but is the health going to be sustainable long term for him to last as a bottom quarterback at the next level? I don't know. And you're right. They took a chance on Isaiah Wilson knowing he had his situation, and it wasn't football, it was just maturity, and that blew up in their face, and they're paying for it right now. Don't want to make that decision. 
have a team where I do think Ryan Tannehill has a max play as a quarterback. It's a playoff college team in a division where you just got to beat the Chiefs one day in the playoffs to probably get out of the AFC and make it to the Super Bowl. You want to get it right when it comes to learning holes that they have on your team. Quarterback, secondary play is an issue for the Titans. Barley is a unique talent, but the health is going to decide if he's going to be sustainable. Absolutely. And so outside of the quarterback position, because I for, for like the top half of this draft, I feel like most of these teams got what they wanted, if not all of these teams. I feel like maybe the Cowboys, and maybe I'm just in my feelings a little bit because the Cowboys did not get a DB, but <laughs> neither here, neither here there. I feel like most of the teams in the top half of the draft got what they wanted. So outside of the quarterback position, what are some teams um like what selections um and like it's outside of quarterback, like I said, what teams made some good picks? Um, or what picks stood out to you as like, ah, I like that pick. That really that really feels a need. Like a, a real big need and concern for that particular team. Well, I do think the no brainer selection was, yeah, uh, Devontae Smith. We've been hearing the last two years on social media trolling Philadelphia fans in the organization for being idiots because he passed when he came back down. And Justin Jefferson. I do understand why they passed when he came back down. He's, Combine measurements when we talked about shuttle and things of that nature, the cones, free cones, all those drills, where getting in and out of your ways as a receiver on a variety of routes that matters. I understand he sucked at those and then he had health concerns. So you're wrong. Put on pause and take care. Justin Jefferson, no teams, dominated at the collegiate level for LSU. He was the guy that was coming out and he could play the spot and he could be a boundary. That's something that Philadelphia needed at that time. They needed somebody that could do damage in the slot or do damage on the outside. Jefferson could do that. Instead, they took Raider. I understood why they took Raider because at the time, Wentz had the rocky arm. They wanted somebody that could utilize Wentz's arm strength with advance, get the speedster that can stretch the field down the field. Stretch the field vertically with his speed down. And it blew up in the face. So it took Devontae Smith, who isn't a vertical laser, but he's still fast. He can separate from you, and he can run every route in the book. The issue with Smith is, and it's a credible issue, he's 160-something pounds. I don't know if that's going to be sustainable long-term because receivers run routes all over the field. So there's going to be a time where he runs an in-breaking route across the middle, and he can get severed. And when he gets severed, will he get up? And will he be able to run that same route concept week in and week out for the next six to seven years? I don't know. We'll see. Wes Welker was slight in building. He survived, but because it's also but he survived. So we'll see, but it was a great selection. He was a receiver. That was a dynamic playmaker. Smith is that from day one. And when you take a guy like... Uh, Jalen Hurts, you don't want to provide somebody like him with directive like Toronto because the conversation that you make, and you want that conversation to be justified. And for that conversation to be justified, he 
he has to have the compensatable resources around us where he can fulfill his fullest ceiling and potential. I'm not a huge Jalen Hurts fan, but if you want him to be starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, give him some legit weapons that are impactful and will make plays day in and day out on Sunday. Devontae Smith does that. Good pick, good pick, good pick. Um, I agree. I, I I had the Eagles all alone taking Devontae Smith. Um, I think I, I I'm I agree with you. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Jalen Hurts being a being like a franchise caliber quarterback. I'm just not huge on it. I, he's a he's a better runner than thrower in my opinion. Um, even though his throwing. Like if you look if you look at tape at Alabama and you look at tape from Oklahoma and to now, it certainly has gotten better. Cause I remember Alabama, he couldn't even throw the deep ball. It's still there there's still a quality as far as throwing the ball down the field consistently. I still worry about that. Um and I and I just think he at this point he's a better runner than thrower. But if you're gonna if but if you're gonna give Jalen Hurts a fair chance at you know trying to prove that hey I can be a franchise guy or I can be the starter, you gotta start with getting him some weapons. In Philadelphia, people like to talk about how bad Belichick is in the draft, but Philly, the Philadelphia Eagles are horrible in the draft. The last Pro Bowler that they have drafted at at on offense was Carson Wentz. He's not even there anymore. So th- they they have not done a good job at all with drafting offense. Um, and I, I do think that Devontae Smith, it's going to work out. Um, the longevity, that's still a question because, as you mentioned, coming across the middle, week in, week out, over the, over the next seven to eight years, can he survive? That stills that 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 stills we you know that 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 needs to be seen, but it's a good pick. Um, I kind of in, in my opinion, I like the pick from the Chargers. Thirteen, they went with Rashawn Slater. I thought that was a huge pick, and at that moment, like up until that moment, I felt like that was probably the steal of the draft, maybe. At that moment, at 13, Rashad Slater slid all the way to 13. I mean, the Chargers definitely got the tackle that they needed. The offensive line was not good at all last year. The, the I feel like the Chargers realized, like, hey, we have Justin Herbert. He is he's a superhero. We gotta protect this guy. We gotta, we got we gotta really protect this guy. And they, you know, obviously, obviously, they went out and added the center, uh, Corey Lindsley from the Packers. Now they have Rashawn Slater. Um, who knows what they may do over the next over the, throughout the weekend with filling up some more holes on that offensive line. Um, I, I, I also look at the Jamar Chase, the um, Peninsula picks. I like those picks. The Jamar Chase one, some people thought the the Bengals should have went with Sewell um, to protect Joe Burrow. But Jamar Chase is going to be a superstar. He's going to be a star receiver. His I think his I think his measurables and skill set line up really well with today's game and um at the receiver position. 
So I'm not mad at that pick because you're gonna get a star either way. Yeah, I agree. You know, with Jamar Chase, he he was the number one guy for so long that you know when the draft process because it starts really as soon as the Super Bowl is over. You're a number one prospect at your position for so long. They're gonna try to stop, start finding Chase Leon to at least close the gap up there to provide some level of entertainment for that process when it comes time to select players for real. And the knock on him was a great separator. So you had a lot of people saying, hmm, uh, he might be just a shorter version of him or they were something But when I saw him play at LSU at national championship season, he could say, now, separate like Justin Jefferson can't off the top of his route? No, but he can get behind and DB and get inside them enough to mad at that i mean I, I i think of it like this joe burrow is uh it's a he's a ferrari peninsula is the car insurance and jamar chase is like gas right in order to drive the car you gotta have car insurance right like yeah you need gas gas that's a need but you need car insurance. You need Allstate. You need State Farm. And I felt like Peninsula was that. Um, but, I mean, Jamar Chase, he's going to be really good. But, you want, like you said, yeah, you're going to be getting open. But 
what if Joe Burrow doesn't have enough time to actually deliver the football? But I, but like, but you're saying, hey, they can go out and get receivers in the second round, and you know, and well, they're probably thinking we can get this draft is loaded with offensive linemen. We can get offensive linemen in the second round, probably. That's that's. I mean, I I guess how they pro that's that's probably how they're approaching it. Um, tell me this: How did you feel about the Chicago Bears moving up for Justin Fields? Because I felt like it was a well needed move, um, given given the fact that Ryan Ryan Pace and 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 and, and Matt Nagy needed to save their jobs, and they're in the hot seat. Like they're in the hot seat. How did you feel about the Bears going after and trading up to get Justin Fields? And I like that move. Yeah, I did too. Um, people alluded to it on the internet saying facetiously, but it's bad. And Chicago actually drafted a black quarterback, and they went unconventional in terms of winning the franchise. But they showcased their hand when they tried to trade for Russell Wilson because I think they finally realized, dang, we're not the Chicago Bears of past. And I'm not <laughs> talking about past where they had the 85 What I'm saying is they're not the Bears team that affords well. Let's pick somebody that represents our fan base from a regional demographic or a racial demographic. We're going to pick a guy that can come and can tighten our ability for a championship at the NFL level. Fields does that. And yeah, he's a type of quarterback where, like I said before, Aggression does wave. And that's going to all be fixed upon how is that franchise going to remodel his business. And he has a tendency to put himself in harm's way in terms of sacrificing his body for the greater good of the team. But automatically, he's the best quarterback that he probably can ever. So he's going to come in and he's going to really light a fire under everybody in the room with him because now they're going to look at him as the franchise, the potential, and true comp- competition down the line. And he presents a level of dynamic in and outside the pocket. Okay? Can't be replicated. This is an individual that was the number one dual threat quarterback, second best quarterback in the country coming out of high And he showcased that when given a justified opportunity at Ohio State. And that natural talent never left. Um, it never disappeared. It's going to appear at the pro level. And Matt Nagy finally has a quarterback that he can fully showcase his offense of play calling ability. I know a lot of people nagged on him for being a sorry play caller, but I felt like a lot of that was because this team was so limited as a passer, and the post game, he's limited too. So you kind of got a handicap which you're able to draw on the bulletin board, and now you can bring everything you want to the bulletin board because you have a legit playmaker that can put everything out on the field to where he puts himself in the best position to be successful, as well as the team. I completely, completely agree with you. Um, two things, and you mentioned kind of mentioned both of them. Um, the first thing is with the drafting of Justin Fields, I think this gives guys like Allen Robinson some confidence because it's like finally we made a move at the quarterback position that made sense, even if Justin Fields doesn't work out, and I and I hope he does, and I feel I kind of feel like he probably will probably. But even if he doesn't, at least the Bears can say, hey, we tried. 
You know, we tried. We didn't we didn't butcher it again. But this is it's a confidence. I feel like it is a confidence booster. And the second thing is you hit it right on the nose with Matt Nagy. I've been trying to I've been trying to defend Matt Nagy as well as I can. I know I know so many people are down on Matt Nagy. And the reason why I I'm I I remain to try to stay positive with Matt Nagy is two things. First, he's he comes from the Andy Reid tree. So I'm gonna give where I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some props there. He comes for the Andy Reid tree, so he gotta know something offensively because Andy Reid knows offense. So you gotta know something offensively. Then secondly, and I think it's more important to know the quarterback play. The quarterback play. It's and I talked about it with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan earlier, but the quarterback play it matters. And when when play callers like Matt Nagy and Sean McVay, when they look on the field and they looking to see what play they're gonna call, and they see the guy that they got out there, they're like, uh, it's hesitancy. It, it, it you can't run the things that you want to run. And for years now, Matt Nagy has had Mitch Trubisky, who doesn't have the vertical throwing. He he doesn't have all the throwing mechanics down. Um, his accuracy is wildly inconsistent. Matt Nagy can't trust that. Um, Nick Foles was a sitting duck. The the Bears' offensive line was not that great. So Nick Foles is a pocket passer, and Nick Foles didn't have the time. So Matt Nagy really couldn't dial up the plays that he really wanted to. So. I feel like Matt, I feel like Matt Nagy gets a bad rep for you know for things that he really can't control. I'm gonna say like Mitch Trubisky as a thrower of the football just isn't great. Nick Foles is a sitting duck, and while dealing with these quarterback issues, I mean his first three seasons, twelve and four, eight and eight, eight and eight. He's gone. He's he's gone. He's twenty eight and twenty. With mediocre quarterback play, is that fair to say? Mediocre quarterback play, twenty-eight and twenty. So that's why I try to be. I don't. I don't just jump off the break, and I don't just try to kill Matt Nagy because it's like, dude got some really mediocre to below average quarterbacks, and he's still winning at least half of his games. At least half of his games. So that's why I really can't. I just find it hard to just full on criticize and bang on Matt Nagy. Yeah, you even saw that as well. It was incremental amount of time Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Before Garoppolo came, Shanahan was opposed to the Niners, and you could tell as creative as a play caller he was, having CJ Beathard be your quarterback along with playing Abbott, I think he might have still been there. I'm not sure. That, that's not a point. So, you can call as creative of a play as you want to. Your quarterback can get the football from beyond the line of scrimmage 10 yards on a pitch You look trash. And then with McVay, we had golf. Yeah, golf had the broken hand when they lost in the division round of the playoffs to the Kuwait Tigers. But it was pretty clear he gave up on it. Just around the year before Jerry got hurt, he was wildly inefficient and had great in terms of making decisions and whatnot as a passer down the field. And 
tell by the way he was calling racers playing heavily on cam anchors to move the ball from point A to point B, whether it was on screens or alarm plays up the middle, and if golf had an opportunity to pass the football, it really just looked like look at read one and then read two is a check down. Or read two throw the ball away. That's not a good feeling. When once the coach realizes he just doesn't have the Jimmy's and the Joes to make his X's and O's otherworldly, he's gonna tap out. Those two guys in Logman's being creative offensive chances, they tapped out on their starting quarterback at some point in time because they realized those guys were in. And they tapped out, and they're getting lauded as great guys. Matt Nagy's never been lauded as a great anything. And I thought he tried everything. And he blatantly never sold Trubisky out or falls out. I give him credit for that. Now, he would do so naturally. Yeah, I, I mean, and I don't think, and you hit on it perfectly because I don't think the average fan um, or the typical fan realizes when it comes to situations like McVeigh and Kyle Shanahan and Matt Nagy, like it gets incredibly frustrating, and you see you 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 see the joy that Andy Reid like. Don't find it coincidental that Brian Dayball, you see the joy of Andy Reid when they call in these plays because they like their quarterback can do anything. Their quarterback can execute them. <laughs> their quarterbacks their quarterbacks can execute these plays. And when you look at a guy like Kyle Shanahan and McVeigh, I mean, I, I I tell my listener this. I told my listeners my listeners this in the regular season of the football year. Um, McVeigh, Mc, Sean McVeigh, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to his post-game interviews, but anytime the, the Rams win, it's about what the players did and the players' efforts. When the Rams lose, it's about the coaching, and he usually says, hey, coaching got to be better, we got to be better, you know, better, come up with better game plans and adjustments and so forth. But there was one game, I forgot, I think, I think it was – I think it was like the 49er game that they lost. And he was like, he basically said, hey, Jared Goff got to play better. I mean, <laughs> and, and and you could tell at that point, McVay was fed up because it's like, bro, I mean, I, I, I'm trying my best to call the right plays. I can't really fully get into what I want to do offensively because your small, your, your, your small hands – and you not, and you're not and your limitations that you have. So I, I I don't think the normal or the casual fan realizes how frustrating that can be for an OC or just a play caller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point. Um, 
say the best thing Sullivan Bay ever did was coming after the mess Jeff Fisher left the made Jerry Carl for a two, three year stint look like a number one overall quarterback. He did that. All <laughs> looked like a straight bus. He comes in and by basically building an offense from the great time early before Arthritis and making passing concepts to Jerry Carl worse to put than ever, he looked incredible. And then recently, once the running game was kind of trying to find their own identity, he had three new running backs, the running running back by team. Towards the end, we saw Cam Akers emerge as the guy, but by then, lost confidence and so shy, his window as their quarterback officially closed. And that Niner game you brought up was a great example. The Niners swept them again. And this was a Niners team that swept them, and they were not fully healthy for you. And they beat you at your house single-handedly because golf single-handedly too gave them the game. Turn them over. And that was one thing golf did well, and what I mean well in a good way, like numbers are down. He didn't turn the ball over as much when the first got the first two years. He did a lot of play action pass, a lot of get the ball out into the quick. The guy's not there, he wanted to check down, throw it away. And this year, like I said, they're trying to find an identity run football, so the responsibility in his hands a lot more than the games where he had to throw, forward, throw the ball 40 to 50 times. He was not here. And I think that clearly personified Okay, as run first as I might make this office for this guy, he has a ceiling, and once that running game is completely we have to rely on our quarterback's arm to get us over the top. He can't get it done, which means this team won't be able to get it done. And that's it. you got to go. Now, I don't think Stafford's the long-term answer. And he could have been so he's been going through throughout his career. Also, while Stafford's arm strength is way better than Goss, and his accuracy, and well, his deep balls were better. He's not as accurate as golf. His decision making are even worse. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in the base system because everybody's looking at it like all, all staff were needed was to get into a better system to fulfill his potential as a number one overall draft pick. But Stafford is who he is. And while his numbers have improved, the team hasn't done anything. And when you make a move like that, you're telling your fan base. Stafford's going to be the reason why we put a championship. He won't. And the reason why he won't is because accuracy is hit or miss. He'll make a great no-look pass that Mahomes made popular. And then the next minute, he'll miss a routine curl out to the And then he'll make indecisive decisions where gunslinger mentality, every quarterback with a gunslinger mentality does this. He'll think he can throw it to a wall where he probably should choose a check down over throwing it into triple coverage. Not to bring the scene to make it either. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in this new base scenario. For sure. So last last point, last last little thing, last question, uh, or topic, I should say. Aaron Rodgers' destination points. Um, if he gets traded, right? If he gets traded. Because if he gets traded, it's hard for me to imagine that the Packers would trade him to an NFC opponent. Um, so teams like the Washington football team that may need a quarterback. Um, I can't really think of another team that needs a quarterback in the NFC unless I'm just unless I'm having a malfunction. But nevertheless, I don't think the Packers would trade him to an NFC foe. So this leaves the AFC. Now 
the pack, the, the the in the AFC, the Denver Broncos and the Raiders have both been possible suitors for an Aaron Rodgers trade. Now, in my opinion, um, I, first first off, that's a tough division that he's going into if he was to get traded. But if I was Aaron Rodgers and I had a choice between the Raiders and the Broncos. I would definitely choose the Broncos. Um, I think they have a little bit more in stable. Um, I, I, I feel like I, I feel like I trust John Elway because this is this is what John Elway did uh, several years back, where he got an older Peyton Manning on the back end of his prime. And really, if you think about it, if you add context to that situation, people really didn't know what to expect from Peyton Manning coming off that neck injury. So that was that was a risk, really. But with Rodgers, he's coming off an MVP season. So it's not as much as a risk. Um, so and, and but I like I like the pieces that the Broncos have in place. They have a really solid receiving core. And let's be honest, Drew Locke is not the answer. Uh and Teddy Bridgewater, as much as I like Teddy Bridgewater. He's not the answer long term. So, what destination do you see Rodgers ending up? I'd probably say Denver. I think Denver is probably the most ideal situation because, you know, he threw out Las Vegas, but for the Las Vegas transaction worked. Both teams, they got the quarterbacks. Green Bay doesn't want that. So, I do feel like if them and Denver do the transaction, I could see potential. Um, you know, I don't know if you could trade a guy twice in the offseason. But I could see Green Bay saying, we'll take Teddy. And you guys can have Brock. Teddy can be Jordan Wells back up. Rodgers can take him back. And Zulak can either learn or Zulak can learn. But that's the most ideal situation because they have the weapons. Judy, Sutton, KJ Hamler, North Bay. Uh, they've got a running game that they like. Denver just added uh, North Carolina's premier rusher in the middle of the goal And then defensively, they're starting to come around. Bob Miller will be back. I don't know if they'll be the same, but he'll be back with Bradley Chubb. Patrick Chutez in the secondary, Justin Simmons, Al Fuller. Denver, they have all the people going down. They wanted to go all in on Sean Watson. We can't right now in that situation. But if they're able to do so with Aaron Rodgers, it would mean the world. And while it won't mean that they'll win the AFC, I don't, I don't think with Aaron Rodgers they'll be Kansas City win the whole wealth team. It reminds me a lot of that Warrior team who lost to the Cavs uh, in 2016 and then reloaded. And they went over for the next That's basically Kansas City. I don't think Denver's there yet with Rodgers. I don't think they, Rodgers takes them over that match. But it's just the back of the playoffs to compete. And Denver hasn't been back to the playoffs since standing left. So that's all Ellie wants. He's done this before where for the next two to three years, they won't be there future for the present. But the difference with this situation is their future has solid enough present-day talent to plug in the back and can elevate them to perennial position. That's the most ideal scenario I see Rodgers. Yeah, I, I I think you mentioned the receiving core and, and a, a a very young receiving core that they have. Um, 
And and last year, I may, I kind of made a bold take. I thought the Broncos were going to be a borderline playoff team. I was wrong because Drew Locke severely underperformed. Um, but I feel I felt all I felt since dating back last year and even towards now, I always felt like Green Bay was a quarterback away from being like a legit playoff team, and. Uh, they, they got there. They got there. So, uh, that'll wrap it up. I don't want to hold you much longer. Um, thank you for coming on, bro. It really, really appreciated. Um, I want you guys, I want, the, I want the listeners, I want the listeners to give you, um, to go check your podcast out. Really? Uh, I'm telling you guys, you, you guys, you guys got to hear it today, but, uh, really just really good insight and he and he brings on more guests than I do. <laughs> so if you like guests, he brings on a lot of guests um uh, and a lot of really good guests. Cool cool guy. Um so thank you for coming on to the IKP um to break down the draft and you know talk some Aaron Rodgers stuff. Uh but as I said, I will and I would also in the description I will leave his podcast link on in his social media information in the description below. So if you're listening, it'll be in the description below. I will leave his information as far as social media accounts and his podcast in the description below. Make sure you guys check that out. You got anything else to say or you want to add? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just want to appreciate some having me on this platform. Do this first time we've been against the A Light Spot. And like you said, um, I have my guests now on a weekly basis. I'm not going to drop anything weekly right now. I'm going to weekly draft. So for the next week, I'll probably have an NFL draft connoisseur inside of social media to talk about the draft. That should be fun, but it's what I do. And I'm a great podcast. I'm going to on my platform and continue to build my brand in this industry. And I uh, feel like I deliver a new box. Um, intel on a variety of things NFL. So, um, you heard it here first. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you. Um, greatly appreciated that you came on the pod. Um, and with you guys, uh, I see you guys next week, Wednesday, Wednesday pod. Uh, <laughs> who knows what will happen by then? <laughs> Maybe somebody else will get frustrated and want to trade. It seems like uh, that's the new wave of the NFL, um, picking up some of the NBA ways. But without further ado, I'll let you guys go. Always remember two choices, one decision. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Once again, I will leave the link in the description, all the links in the description for you guys to check out this podcast. Be greatly appreciated if you guys did that, just for me and for him. But once again, thank you guys for tuning in. I'm out. Peace. Deuce is gone.